And so I'm proud to be able to say that we've given back to our community in so many different ways. Is that helping my business monetarily? Maybe not, but it's bringing referrals and building my reputation that's going to help me in the long run. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and I am here with Melissa Sharon. Melissa, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Melissa, I'm super excited about this interview. You have a very unique story and background. Tell me a little bit about how you started with your company. So I started in 2010, um, a simple applied for a job application um, as a showing agent, went through the interview process, got hired, and in the course of 10 years, worked my way up through the leasing um, department, then ran um, operations for first rate property management. You're like a GM, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then, um, on our path, my, we brought my husband on and our path to eventually own the company. And it's been almost a year and we're now business owners of that company. Congratulations. Thank you. That is exciting. Yes. That is rare. I want to, I want to tease out, uh, let's start with just the why, what made this made make sense for you? Uh, And I'll answer that question. I think with the why. I'm a driven, motivated individual, and I always want to be doing the best that I can um, for myself, for my family, for my company, for my people that I'm serving. Um, and so I got curious and I got into the industry and I loved the challenge. I loved the daily differences that it brings to our lives. Um, I wanted to improve processes to make it easier for everybody. And that background of hidden success when you have happy employees or happy owners or happy tenants is what motivates me to keep going. Um, I also... I'm married to a really operational-minded individual, and so bringing him on really brought the peace um, that I don't necessarily is not my strong suit. And so with his operations and my customer service and helping to please people, we really are a dynamic team, and we've really been able to be uh, successful. We really have been running the company for about the last four years, and Mm. we finally get to reap the benefits of being the owner. I love that you're in it a year after the transaction as we're having this interview. There's enough perspective now to really know and understand what you got into. What would be your advice or your feedback for somebody that is not the owner currently that's going to watch this interview and they're thinking, you know, hey, that sounds interesting. What if I could do that? What's your advice and feedback for somebody to analyze whether or not your path might be the right path for them? I think the best advice is you have to be comfortable where you're at. Um, I think you also have to be able to challenge yourself. So if you're continuing to challenge yourself and you're enjoying what you're doing and you're being successful in where you're at, it's going to take you to those higher levels. Um, I think it's also important that you're with the right company. There's some business owners that won't allow this. Um, You know, we're in a unique situation where our owner or the previous owner got to um, choose. Does he want to sell it for a little bit higher? Sure. 
But that didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was taking care of his clients and his employees and the legacy that he had built. So I think it's important that you are partnered with the right person. Um, I think you want to be able to challenge yourself and continue to climb the ladder. And and even as a business owner, we still have daily challenges. Um, We're not done yet. Um, Even though we are at the top, there's still lots of things we can improve on. and, And the industry brings that to us. Now, obviously, there's a lot of owners that would say, I want an employee that takes a lot of ownership. I want a team member that really just owns it. They soup to nuts. They just, they take a massive amount of accountability. You've kind of taken that to an extreme here. What would be your feedback to other business owners in thinking about, um, in thinking about how they're, they are empowering their employees? Because it's one thing to say, I want my team to take ownership. It's another thing to actually do the things to set them up and to enable them for success. How would you advise other business owners to enable their team to take ownership? Um, okay, so I love this question because I think it's the most underutilized piece that people forget about. Um, no company is where they are without their employees. It, it doesn't matter how good of a business owner you are, how much, how you know great you run your business. Um, I think there's a few things that they can do. Obviously, they come to conferences, they learn how to how to work on your business, not in it. And you have to be firm with that. You have to work on your business, not in it. You have to develop. You have to train. You have to believe in somebody that can do it. You have to invest in them. And mm-hmm. I think that's the number one thing that people don't enough. You have to bring them to conferences that are going to teach them to be leaders. You have to empower them to find the changes that they need to make in your company rather than you telling them what to do. And I think, you know, from my story, I was always given that empowerment. I was always given the chance to say, well, you tell me what you'd like to do. And we went with it. Were there times we failed? Yep. And there's, there's a reason for that. So I can learn how to do it better next time. Um, Your team and owners need to involve those type of people and those major decisions. Um, An example for us, we just changed software. That wasn't my decision. It was my team's decision. And you're not going to get the empowerment until you involve them in those types of decisions um, to see that they're having an impact in your overall business. What is the flip side of this question from the employee's perspective? The employee that comes to you and says, Melissa, I'd love to do what you did, but my owner sucks. Company sucks. My circumstance sucks. How would you encourage a employee to take a level of ownership that transcends their circumstances? I would encourage them to take those baby steps on their own. I I mean, there's going to be some owners that are so controlling and in that environment, they have to make the best choice for them. Um, But if you're choosing to make changes in your company that have an overall good impact, I don't know that a business owner is going to say, oh, well, I can't really be mad at them. Like they've increased my profit by this percent or they've increased efficiency um, by this many hours, you know, saving me time. Um, So I think there has to be thought out. It has to be um, well done. And my my advice to them is to keep trying, have those open conversations, um, and eventually you're going to crack that egg. What do you think a great owner looks like in terms of how they manage day to day? How low to the ground are they involved in the weeds? What do you think is the right mix? I, I don't I want to re-ask the same question, but I'm just, I'm so curious on your unique perspective because you've been yeah. in that relationship. So I know um, coming up through my company, I um, got to witness a lot of 
ownership type people and meet a lot of different people. And I know that I vowed as I got this opportunity to never be the owner that didn't know how to do things in my company. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that I'm spent doing that day in and day out, but how am I going to ask my employee to type a lease or go show this property or do a turnover inspection? If, if my husband or myself don't know what that looks like, how are we going to tell them what to do if we haven't walked in their shoes? And I think I bring that unique um, perspective to my company and we vow to still keep that in it every day because even though we need to be at the 50,000 foot view, um, which is important for an owner to work on their business, not in it. I mean, there's times where we have to be a piece of the puzzle. There's times where I go show a property because we don't have anybody else to show for whatever reason. Um, and I think that empowers our team because we're not putting ourselves on a level so high to where we're too good to do anything in our office. Um, and I, think that attests to our culture. I think that attests to our longevity of our employees and people that I know could leave for higher paying jobs that don't because we really are a team. No, you know, when I interview people and I hire people, no one person is more important than the other. There's no totem pole. We don't stress on an org chart. Um, we have one, but we, it's not an important part. We're all a special piece of a puzzle that takes all of us together to be successful. What do you think the right way is to implement things top down? You're here, you go to an event, you get all the, all these ideas, you come back to the office. Sometimes for team members, it feels like that the genius owner gets ideas and just dumps them on the staff with no care for how it's actually going to go. When you implement significant changes, let's take the software change recently. How did you go about facilitating that in a way where you felt like you got buy-in and people wanted to do it rather than being told this is what's going to happen. Okay. So software, for example, um, we've been wanting to change for a really long time, but I knew it was a really hard change. And so I said, we have to get everyone on board. So we started with our management team, which is my husband's team of three and my team of three. And we brought them into this room and we said, this is what we would like to do or to explore. We showed them the demo. We involved them in with them showing us how things work. We had the conversation about this is all or nothing. So if there's things you guys don't like or don't want to do, or you think this is the wrong time, you now you need to let us know. They got but, to participate in the decision-making process. Correct. When you leave this room, if we're all going to collectively agree together that we're going to move forward with this, then that's what we're going to do. Just like in a boardroom, you know, we're one, one board, one voice. So we took that step. They all agreed. We said, okay, it's go time. And then we set up separate demos with the rest of our employees. So we had an accounting demo just for my accounting team. And we had a leasing demo just for my leasing team and the same thing for maintenance, just to make sure that we had our employees on board. We all knew it'd be a lot of work. We all knew we'd have some um, extra hours as we implemented over, you know, transitioned all of our data. Um, and it went really seamless because it was everybody's decision and not myself or my husband telling them this is what we were going to do. Property management software switches are a great example because it's hairy, it's messy. In the software world, they say that bitching ain't switching, i.e. Mm -hmm. you can complain all you want, but are you really going to switch your softwares? In your case, you actually did. Mm -hmm. You did the thing, which is did rare. It. What's the retrospective? How many hours involved? Uh, what, what things did you not anticipate that were kind of things to watch out for, for somebody thinking about going down that path? What's the post-game analysis? Well, I think you have to overanalyze the plan. If you don't have a plan and you think it's solid, it's got to be more solid than you think. Um, we, I'm a planner, so that was an easy piece for me, and there's still some things we missed. Um, and 
I think you have to stick to it. And when you have 23 people in my case that were all agreeing to it, we all pitched in. We all worked on a weekend to transfer deposits. We all knew that that was what it was expected of us. Um, I think the other thing is, is you can't assume that the person you're going to understands property management. They're software developers. So I think you have to over-communicate what it means to have a portfolio or an owner who has four different properties, but if they want them together or separate and things like that. Um, we did learn a few lessons along the way, nothing that broke us. And I'm continuing to pass those on to people that are changing to our same software so they don't have to go through some of the things that we did as well. Um, we knew there'd be heartache. We knew there'd be backpedaling. We knew there would be some ups and downs. But um, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it was very seamless because we had a plan. We thought through things. We took our time. Um, and together with them and our software company, um, it just was a really smooth transition. What, in your mind, what drove the perception that the juice was worth the squeeze and making the switch? What was the upside? What were you after? Well, so we come from a dated software, um, but our accounting was by far the best. And so that's why we hadn't switched yet. And this company now has the accounting modeled very similar to our old software. We knew we were spending countless hours of wasted time on data entry that we didn't need to be in this day and age. Um, and so we took the plunge. We are early adopters, which we knew would bring some ups and downs as well. Um, but we're also able to help this company develop things that are going to be beneficial to a lot of people. Um, and so it was a give and take. Um, mm. We got everyone in together at the same time, and we just said, we're going to do it. No one's ever ready for a software change. You're never ready. There's never a good time. Um, but you take the plunge. Our job as business owners and property managers is to always be doing the best, the best for our owners, the best for our tenants, and really our employees. And so you have to continue to elevate your business with those changes. I'm sure if they're listening, it would kill them to not have it named. So let's just say it. Who did you switch to? <laughs> we switched to Rentvine. Shout out to Clay, <laughs> Dave Warden, and those folks over there. Yeah. So you make this switch. How, how recent was that? It was almost a year ago. A year ago, really? Yeah. Okay. So I did a software switch and I bought a business all at the well, same time. Well, you've just been busy. You're a glutton for punishment over <laughs> sure here. Sure have. <laughs> so you make this this transition. Just so I understand more about the business, what is the profile of the clientele you're working with? Does it skew towards accidental? Does it skew towards investor? Um, we're more towards investors. So we really we have about 1,100 doors now and we really only have about 200 owners. So it's That's owners, definitely skewed. Yes. It's owners that have been with us 20-some years over half of them have are long-term investors with us. Um, the previous owner, Tony, is sells to investors, and so that's been the basis of our company. Um, and then because we focus on our success and our customer service and and being the leader of the industry, that has brought to us more business. I, I mean, through referrals, I would say is 90% of the reason we grow. Let's talk about sales, referrals, market churn, the environment. Right now, we're in a season where there's a lot of folks feeling like that there's portfolio contraction and it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do. They're waiting for the market to turn. It's getting heavy for some folks. What have you guys experienced in that dynamic? So we've had some of that. Um, some of it is because our market's so hot right now that investors would be silly not to sell and cash drop out. a cash out. I mean, that you know, and depending on their age and if it's time to retire and go through that process, um, that's the downside. We manage more multifamily than single. So we run into that on these bigger complexes of 60 some units. Um, but we We've also been growing at a steady controlled pace for the owners that we like to have. Um, it's allowed us to be flexible with staff. We have not been stressed about having to hire staff because we haven't lost 
any mm -hmm. and a few here and there. But as we lose properties, we're able to adjust. Our software has allowed us, um, has given us some efficiency back. And so we're not overwhelmed with that process. Um, and it, in the grand scheme of things, we've lost a little bit more than we've gained. Um, but we've also been able to get rid of owners that don't no longer fit our business model um, and inherit ones or gain new customers that really flow into the way the industry is going now. So when you think about the ideal client, what's the ideal client for you? Um, an ideal client for us is hands-off. Um, allowing us to build the trust. We're, we're very communicative. We um, give them lots of information anytime they need it as far as, you know, move outs and move ins and drive by inspections and owner statements. And we're updating them as, as much as they want or as little as they want. Um, we built our business on systems and processes and we have those in place and they're really good. Um, and we like owners that trust us to allow that to just flow through um, and, you know, that keeps their vacancy low, um, their rents are up. So if they allow us to just do our job, we're, we're a full-fledged property management that does from start to finish. So systems and processes are a codification of and a cementing of policy, but it's not a replacement for, and it cannot improve. If you have bad policies, it's just going to make things worse. What are some policy decisions that the company has made, some lines in the sand that you feel, you feel like have really allowed you guys to do what you do well? So we are very strict on... I'll go back to the hands-off. We don't allow owners to do their own maintenance. I can't use my vendors. I can't we show up at the property nope, swinging a hammer. Nope. Um, we very much want to prove to you that we can do our job well. And so we need to be allowed to do that. And we sometimes have had a few owners where they've gone through the process and they've wanted to intervene and things do get dropped and holes do happen because they didn't allow us to follow through on our process. We are pretty good about setting market rents. You're the owner and you know what you want, but we're the professional and we're in the industry every single day. And so our recommendation needs to have a, a higher grout than necessarily what you're wanting or needing. Now we're open to those conversations of where do you want to be and let's see where we can get. Mm -hmm. um, however, let me tell you what's going to happen if you go too high mm -hmm. and a tenant moves out, you're going to pay a turnover for the same amount. Mm -hmm. So we're good on allowing the owner to be involved where they want to be, but pretty firm on our recommendations of how things should happen. So, you know, no vendors, no turnovers, don't talk to the tenants. Um, we're strict on insurance policies and what they have and have us listed um, for liability reasons. We are really good about learning from our mistakes and putting policies in place that make sure that we're taking care of our business and our employees. What about cadence and frequency and format of communication? How do you communicate with your owners at what frequency and about what? So I think I would say we're over-communicative um, just because we don't ever want them to question what's going on with their property. So it starts with the live portal where they, with our new software we didn't have, um, they can log in and see any open work orders. They can see um, their details of their property, the rent we have it at, things like that. We notify them every time somebody is rented, a uh, property is rented. We notify them every time somebody moves out. We do uh, monthly drive-by exterior inspections, and we send them a report with pictures and or recommendations or all is good. We notify them of a turnover 
They have a chance to chime in yes or no on some things. Um, and then any other issues that we need to notify them, you know, if there's a tenant complaint or a lawsuit, for example, or things like that. So those are more on, on, on as needed. Um, but the rented move out turnover, the owner statement every single month of their, their financials and then their drive-by inspections. So we're really talking to them for sure two to three times a month. Um, and then, you know, as their tenant comes and goes, we're notifying them as well. When they have a vacancy, we also notify them every week on the activity, how many phone calls we're getting, how many showings we have, if we have any applications, if we have any recommendations on if they should lower rent um, or offer a move-in special or something like that. Talk to me about managing your vendors, getting the right group, making sure they're doing good work, making sure that they're consistent over time. How do you handle that? So we are keen on trying to stick with a little bit smaller vendors just because of quality control for one and cost. As we all know, cost has been an extreme, expenses have been rising for these owners. And so we're doing what we can. And so we would prefer to have two smaller two-man show plumbers than one big company that we know we can dispatch whenever for the cost savings alone. Um, so we try to get those all. We have two or three in each area because we are a larger company. Um, they know our volume. They know that summers are really crazy, and we try to spread that out. We've also started an in-house maintenance company for this um Single reason, my husband started it when he came on about four years ago with one tech and we're up to four um, for the also the quality control and the cost. So we're able to provide that service to our owners um, at, I mean, a third of a cost of what an outside handyman would cost. And we're able to get it done quicker, which creates less vacancy for them and tenants moving in sooner. Um, we build a really good rapport of vendors. We have a vendor program. We are uh, timely with our payments um, and build that trust. We really give these small hometown guys um, a lot of work and that's worked out really well for us. What does timely with your payments mean? Um, every week. And what do you expect or require of them in terms of submitting the invoices after the work is done? Usually, our contract says 15 days. Um, there's some instances in summer where if it's a little bit later, that's fine. But they, they know they have to adhere to our deposit release uh, guidelines that we all have to follow. Um, but our vendors are pretty good about it. And uh, departmental or portfolio? Departmental. So you have a maintenance or one or more maintenance coordinators? Yep. How many? I have a maintenance team lead and then two coordinators under her. And then I have an accounting team lead and two accounting people under her. And then I have a leasing team lead and two leasing people under them. And then we have a management team. Is the entire team stateside? Yep. Have you looked at, how do you feel about remote? Entire team is stateside. Is, I, okay. This is I take on. that back. We have one remote employee, and but it's, she's still in the United States. She used to work for us and she's moved to she North Carolina. Moved, so so um, I, I pay her what I would pay any of my others. Um, and it's, She's the perfect candidate because I trust her and she gets her job done and not everyone can do that. Um, we've worked in office all through COVID because that's just how we op operate. Mm -hmm. um, we have not gone the VA route. I, I don't know why. I just, I love my employees. I love our culture. I love what we've created. Um, we have a good time. I, we haven't been forced to look at that. Um, and to me, supplying these people with good jobs and a fun work environment um, has been um, something that's been special to us. It's not that we're against it, um, but it's working. And so we're not going to disrupt what what's working for us right so now. So you feel like that the energy specifically yeah. of being co-located, that's what does something for you in yep. particular. 
Yep. Our culture um, and our, our core values and what we live by is really big in our office. Um, it's important to us. Like I said, even during COVID, people wanted to be at work. We want to hang out together. We are a team. We're very different. All of our personalities are very different for a reason. Um, but we all bring something unique to the table, and they, and they know that. And so we just collectively like being together. I don't know. Uh, I'm all in on remote. And I say that not, not like offshore, but just like remote. I live in Austin. I'm the only person that's in Austin, but to some degree I'm operating out of ignorance because it's always been that way. I've never had the experience of having a meaningful size team located in the same office in terms of the vibe and the ethos. What does that look like? Is it like, are there, are there any things that you do on a weekly or monthly basis to get the team together that relate to kind of squeezing the maximal advantage of being in person? Yeah. So we do a lot of things in that realm. We have a staff meeting every single week that I'll be honest for an hour and a half is probably 20 minutes of business and another hour of trivia and talking and laughing and whatever happens, right? Yes, it's wasted time, but it's not wasted time because we're team building. Um, we involve our team in strategic planning every year, our entire team. We do a management one offsite, and then we do a whole day with our entire team. They're part of our growth, our success. Um, we do, we just last week, we went we closed the office early Friday and went bowling for two hours. Um, through the slow time, we have allowed our employees to leave at noon on Fridays, and we've paid them for the rest of the day. Their productiv productivity has increased. Um, I know during our slow time, I'm either going to pay them to sit at a desk and pretend they're busy or pay them to go do the things that they enjoy doing. Um, so there's there's those things along with benefit package and being able to bounce ideas off of each other and having help right there um, off of a computer screen that we just enjoy. Um, like I said, the longevity of our employees and the power that they have and to make the change and to do things that make work for them and also still help our business has just been a real uplifting um, experience. You sound like a great boss. I try to be. He aspired to <laughs> it, of course. Don't. Maybe if you ask my employees, they might tell you. No, they won't tell you different. I'm sure that they're, yeah. that they're happy. We have fun. So uh, the balancing out the happiness is mm. the compliance and the, the hard conversation aspect of it. How do you handle hard conversations that need to be had, unpleasant ones? People aren't performing, somebody that was doing great and now isn't. There is an objective standard for mm -hmm. performance mm -hmm. and all the bowling and high fives isn't going to overcome somebody that's just no. slipping in performance. How do you handle and deal with when somebody's performance starts to slide? So they, they're very aware. We're over-communicative with our staff as well. Um, we just transitioned out of this, but we did this for quite a while, several years, where we did monthly feedbacks. And there was opportunities for them to share what they wanted to feedback with us, feedback for us, and for us to share feedback with them. We're very clear about our expectations. They know what's expected of them. They know that we have high expectations as a, as a company. We always have. Um, and there was no room for, oh, hey, you didn't tell me, or hey, I didn't know this. Because every single month we had a chance to say, these are the things I'd like you to work on. We'd go over your goals that we'd set um, as a team or at strategic planning. And then they also had an opportunity to tell us some things that they would like us to stop, they would like us to start, or they would like us to continue. Whether that be stop micromanaging and allow me to do this or continue giving me praise once a week because that's what I need. 
And so there was 11 of those papers. And at the end of their yearly review, we didn't really have to go over anything that we didn't remember, right? Because we've been talking for 11 times. And we've had some employees that said, well, I didn't know this. Well, then how come for these 11 instances, did you not put this on your paper? So we've opened that door of communication of these are our expectations. These are the standards that we hold. You either want to get there and achieve those or you don't. And it's I don't ever like getting rid of employees. Um, It's the hardest thing of my job still to this day. And I think most business owners would agree. Um, But sometimes it's necessary. And sometimes there's your business gets to a point where those people just can't go any further. Um, I also believe that my story that I get to share when I hire all these people Mm. has motivated in my entire management team has started almost at that showing level. And they have worked up for one reason or another. So we're firm believers in creating positions for people that are worth it and promoting people that have earned it. Um, longevity comes at some degree when it comes to raises and things like that, but we pay based on performance and our expectations are very clear and we provide a big bonus program every year that if you don't reach your goals, like you don't get that. They know that. So they Team goals or individual goals? Both. So we set company goals at a 50,000 foot view and they're very um, broad. And then we have each department sets their goals that feed into those big goals. And how do you set goals? Forecasting, planning, Mm -hmm. there's two approaches. There's the purely probabilistic, what is likely to happen, most likely. And then there's the aspirational side. Most planning is somewhere in the middle. What's your philosophy of setting goals? So we do a SWOT analysis every year. Um, Our management team gets that 50,000 foot view and we dive into some things. And then we're pretty quiet when we do the team um, strategic planning because we want those people to also have a say. Um, And then we come up together with those set goals. So I would say more what we aspire to want to be versus reality um, because we're driven and young and maybe stupid. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But, and then we set those and they're, they're, t- um, they're measurable that we can track them. We know what we're working towards. And they're also things that are going to help our business overall. Um, an example this year is, you know, are we going to make more money by doing more community events in our community? No, but it is going to build our reputation and people have enjoyed it and it's been different and it's something that they came up with. And so I'm proud to be able to say that we've given back to our community in so many different ways. Is that helping my business monetarily? Maybe not, but it's bringing referrals and building my reputation that's going to help me in the long run. And you're giving yourself permission to run right. your business in the way that you choose to do so. Yep. How big is the town? That What's the name of the city and how large? Boise. Well, Boise Meridian Eagle, but it's a Boise area. Um, the Treasure Valley is just under a million um, people with the combining, you know, Nampa Caldwell. And then we manage about 1,100 doors and we have 23 employees. And that includes our maintenance techs. It's a fairly large market. Mm-hmm. How do the management companies in that market interact with one another? What is handoff if you take a property off somebody else or they take a property off you? What does that look like? For the most part, it's pretty good. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say my NARPM companies tend to do it a little bit better just because we abide to a higher professional standard. Um, we're a very close-knit group there. Our chapter is really strong. Um, so there's no hard feelings. There's plenty of properties to manage. Um, just recently, we've had some bigger companies come in that don't I think streamline things as well as they could. And I think part of that is because they're just so big. Mm -hmm. And so those have been a little bit more disastrous, Um, but we do what we can to do, like I said, right by our employees and our clients and make it as smooth as we can. 
Speaking of NARPM and designations, you had mentioned earlier that you are currently the NARPM treasurer. Yep. What does the NARPM treasurer do? Um, so I basically oversee all of NARPM's financials. I approve um, expenses that are within the budget. I help create the budgets with the staff um, and then make sure that it's all flowing um, appropriately. I also am chair of the finance committee, and that's where a lot of the deeper work gets done if people, if committees request more money or there needs to be a change or we're adjusting the budget that would come through the finance committee that um, I am chair of and I have a team of and we discuss it and either approve motions to send to the board for final approval or talk about why we don't and, you know, the deal dies there. So um, in a realm, that's what I do there. I serve on the executive board and happy to help just grow this organization and help people see what a great part it can be for your company. For the finance committee, what level of granularity, how granular are the details of what's being discussed there? Um, I mean, it's, we talk about it all. So that's, yeah, the work is done in committees and that's the whole reason for them. Um, And we form committees and we try to grab, you know, people who have been in NARPM for a longer time or even in the industry and some newbies and some from the East Coast and the West Coast. And we really try to get a good variety of people that are going to bring a good perspective. Um, But the most important piece of that is that we're making decisions that's best for the membership. Um, Aside from our own personal agendas, that's our job as, as leaders of this organization is to talk about them and think through everything to make the best decision we can for the members. And when you say what's best for the members, in your words, what would you articulate broadly, like the mandate that NARPM has towards the members? What do you understand that to be? So what I understand that to be is we're helping elevate these individuals or these companies to be the best property managers that they can. You know, it's through the networking, it's through the conferences that they provide. It's through the resources that they have um, to really elevate their business. What are you doing to adapt and change in this industry? As we all know, it's a constant change. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I love property management so much. Nothing's ever the same. So what is NARPM doing to provide and be there to help them as they pivot through all that changes? If I was explaining this to a layperson, one of the things that I would highlight is that generally speaking, there are not governmental requirements around property management that are specific to property management. Got to have your realtor's license, got to have your broker's license, but it's not given its own um, accreditation from the state and therefore organizations like NARPM are, are kind of filling in a hole there. You mentioned previously the difference in the designation between folks in your own market that are NARP members versus non-NARPM members. If you were just, you know, advising somebody that you meet that seems competent and they have a decent shop, but they're not a NARPA member and they're thinking like, well, Melissa, I've been doing this for 10 years. Like I know how to do my job. Why would I join? What, what, what would you tell them? Um, so I, I'm a big fan of NARPM. I think it provides things that you're not going to find on your own. Um, single-handedly, the people that you're going to meet that have started just like me as a showing agent and now own a business. Um, you, you're motivated and you're inspired by different people that do things different ways. Um, it's, it's no reason than people that join the realtor associations um, that provide them the resources and the, and the education that they need for those things. NARPM continues to grow, continues to pivot, continues to change to try to help elevate members and their businesses. Um, and, and I'll 
I'll punch in designations here. Um, as we continue to show that we are an ethical industry and that we want to keep rising to the top and we want to get those fancy little letters after our name. You know, I do a presentation where I talk about you don't hire a CPA that doesn't have the credentials. You don't hire a surgeon to perform surgery on you that doesn't have a doctorate degree. Like, why would you hire a property manager that's not a professional? Mm -hmm. Um and until we continue to get those designations and show the rest of the nation that it is a way to prove to people that property management managers are professionals, um, it's going to help when more people get their designation and more people join. And NARPM is a good place to start for that. Let's talk about one of the most compelling use cases as it relates to professionalization, and that is trust funds. Dealing with a situation in a small business it, that's really unique here. Your average small business that's doing a million dollars in revenue is very unlikely to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash that there's not there, not theirs that they're just supposed to hold on to. It's a very anomalous circumstance. When you deal with and you talk to companies in this space, what do you hear? What do you see? And what lands with you in terms of best practices for ensuring that that money is uh, dealt with in the way that it needs to be. Yeah. So I think I, we bring a unique perspective here. I'll give you a little insight. Idaho's not regulated. We don't have to be licensed in real estate. Wild West. We, yep. We get to do really whatever we want. So I think especially for us, it's most important to hone in on those best practices and policies. I'm not going to have an auditor that walks through my office and says, show me where this money's at. Right? Really? Correct. Wow. Um, now, I don't know that I still agree with that, but it is the way it is. Um, and so other states have that, but it doesn't mean it's still not being done. Sure. Your, your people panic when they, when they show up, right? right? Your job is to be an ethical business owner. Uh, um, I mean, that's the way of being a good, decent human being. Right. Um, and your clients are trusting you, you're signing contracts, you're agreeing, you're working on this trust together. There's lots of tools out there. There's lots of vendors out there. There's lots of people that can help ensure that you're holding the money where it needs to be, providing your three-way reconciliations every month. Show those. You know, we have owners that want our CPA to validate that that's there every single year, and we send a certified letter to our owners. We have nothing to hide. Um, be transparent. Be consistent. Do it every single month or what, however often you do it every two weeks, whatever fits for you. Um, but th you're building that trust. And the minute you break that trust with anybody with, for anything, especially with security deposit money or things like that, um, you're going to eventually ruin yourself. So places like NARPM, um, organizations that are going to help you keep honest and keep ethical um, and keep you out of trouble. Now, now from one owner to another, there's obviously the management company's responsibility towards their client, the owner, but what about internally? What do you do to make sure that, you know, now you're in the situation where you are at the head. And so you've, you've even kind of moved statuses where maybe there's a little mm -hmm. bit more of a divide in terms of communication because people perceive you as the boss and maybe there's less transparency. What are the controls that you put in place to make sure that in your business that you know, like the back of your hand, because this, I mean, this is how it happens, right? It's yeah. people that you trust, et cetera. How do you sleep at night? What peace of mind, what process do you have in place? <laughs> um, so we sleep really well at night because we're really trusted good employees. I know that isn't always the case. And we've been through a couple um, of situations in our accounting department where we didn't have that. Um, and so there were times where I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, we're very careful about 
When an individual processes something, a check or a payment, there's different signers and there's Mm. different people that reconcile those accounts. So, for example, in my office, we all have four credit cards. I have one. My husband has one. I have two other people that have a business credit card for gas and whatever purposes, right? Um, Those people enter in their own credit card, but then somebody else reconciles. Mm. Um, I reconcile the expense account. I do no paying of any of my um, property management bills. My accountant does that. But then I reconcile to make sure that I don't see anything going out that shouldn't be. Um, On our property management software, I have my two accounting gals that pay our vendors and collect rent and do all that. And then I have somebody else that reconciles that bank account. So there's, we have a second check everywhere. Um, And then my husband and I together do our three-way reconciliation and our books every month. And then we openly share our financials with our management team. Um, Again, we have nothing to hide. People need to know that we take care of our employees to the best we can. People need to alleviate the perception that we're taking 80% of our profit and only giving 20 back to the company. Um, And that's our vow to be transparent of if you all want to make more, here's where we're at. Here's your budgets. Let's figure out how to make it work. Mm. You pushing it. I mean, what's interesting about this is that this is a high bar. My fundamental belief is that transparency in and of itself is not necessarily a service. And here's what I mean. Taking a bunch of data and a bunch of information and just puking it up on your team members when they have no context or ability to translate it is not actually useful. What's useful is contextualizing. What's useful is explaining, walking people through it. What's the gap there? Like, what is that? How has that conversation evolved? Was it that way before you took it over? Have there been some shifts in in that aspect of it? Um, I would say not quite. So when I was an employee, there were conversations that we would have about that and about pay. And I would get to see bits and pieces and I would help reconcile as I continued to move up, right? Um, I would say we're a little bit more than how it used to be. And I don't say here's the P&L for the year, right? Or for the month. Um, we're careful about what we do because there's some things that need to be just ours. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, my leasing agent or my operations gal gets the leasing budget. This is all the money that leasing brings in through a renewal fee, through lease up fee, whatever. Um, here's what we pay the employees in this department. Here's the little wiggle room we have. Do we want to give raises? Do we want to invest in this? Mm. Do we want to? And so we're getting budget. to see bits of p- and pieces of the puzzle um, that eventually formulates to the big piece. The roll up. So it's right. like one step down, one level right. down. Have you ever read The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack? I have not. It's a book that's that's uh, open book management is the name of the okay. term, OBM, and it's kind of related here. But it's definitely... It's a lift. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. And for a lot of folks, they do get uncomfortable with the idea of having that transparency. What is the, what's the short story of the upside that you feel like that you get beyond just, it's a feel good sort of practice. People enjoy it. Do you feel like that you could prove or demonstrate that it's driving performance in the organization by having this additional transparency? Um, I I do think it does. Um, People want to make more money, right? That's 90% of your employees say, I want to make this or I want to, we all want to make more money. Um, We are able to share that with them. We're able to say, if you want to make more money or we want to do these things as a company, here's where we need to get past. What are we going to do to change? And so when we're implementing things like resident benefit packages and toying with the idea of zero security deposits and creating an owner benefit package, all these things that we want to do, they're hard work, right? But when we get to show them that we implemented the resident benefit package two years ago and look at our bottom line here to our bottom line now, 
Like, that's amazing, right? And we continue to give raises. We continue to get to go bowling. We continue to get to buy vehicles that they get to drive when they're running around doing things um, and investing in our business. And I think it's created a cultural environment where they feel a part of the process and they know that they have to do their job to get their piece done. And when all 23 people are doing that, Mm. um, Mm. we are able to elevate higher and faster. That totally lands with me. I can think of it. An example for me would be a team member that's asking for a raise. And in the process of them asking for a raise, I realized that I had not done a great job of teeing up my expectations for their performance at a level of granularity to where we were on the same page. Cause I'm looking at their performance and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's somewhat unremarkable. They're looking at their performance and they actually wrapped it in a bunch of metrics that didn't have a benchmark, meaning I did X, Y, Z, PDQ, and all those things were great, but it wasn't, I did X uh, and the, the standard was here and I was above it or I was below it. So in the absence of that framing on my behalf, the imagination ran wild. I love the way that you're framing it. You're basically converting that energy and desire of the team member and you're pointing it and you're directing it at something objective they can can do about it. I mean, if that's not empowerment, I don't know what is. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love it. We don't do the yearly raise once a year. That's not how we operate. That's how never how we've operated. We continually say, man, they've really been killing it. Let's look at their pay. And that causes us to adjust a few others as we scale up and who's doing what. Um, people get promotions based on their hard work. They know that they have, they are in control of their own path. Um, and we've been firm believers in that and we've stood behind our word. Um, and it's worked really well for us. So how do you handle the percentage of, let's say on average, the percentage of salary that's coming from base versus something performance driven? How do you, how, how have you dialed in that mix? So we take advantage of the salary where we where we can, um, we're rule followers, so I don't bend the rules. Um, and they know what's expected of them. And we also explain as a salaried employee, you know, you get some different benefits than other people. Um, they still have metrics. They, they know that if they don't uphold their end of the agreement, we're going to mandate some things that they don't like. Right. So that's our management level team. And then our hourly people are more metric driven. So are you sticking to your job description? Are you getting things done within our goals that are, that are measurable, you know, that we've set for the year? Um, are you showing up to work on time? Are you calling out too many days? Like what, not all necessarily performance-based, but like, are you being the member of the team that you committed to being? Um, and, and those have different measurables depending on what department they're in and where they're going. Melissa, I want to wrap here. Where do you plan on taking the business? You have such an interesting path (laughs) and story. You're one year in at 1100 units. That's not common. It's kind of bizarre. So you're at, you're at a, what, what, what would be a terminal destination for many people where like, if at the end of my career, I'm at 1100 units, that'd be great. And you're there and you're just kind of taking over. Obviously you've been in it for a while, but what are your, where are your plans? Where do you want to take the business from here? You know, I I don't know that we have a concrete set of this is where we want to be. We want to continue to do our job really well. 
Um, we want to be successful. We don't, we've never had a model to grow just to grow. That's not how we've been because we don't need to, because we're focusing on our systems and processes and providing really good service to our owners and to our employees. Um, things have gone very nicely for us. Um, we want to continue to build our in-house maintenance. We think that could be its own thing. We've dialed that in really well. Um, and we'd like to service other PMs in our area at some point. Right now we're fully taking on, um, just our properties because we are so large. So that's that's an area of us. And we want to continue to provide good quality service um, as the industry evolves and changes. And, and what that looks like, we don't, like I said, zero security deposits, owner benefit package. Um, we want to be the leader um, and we want to be the best that we can um, in taking care of these investments for our owners. What I like to say for me is that I'm committed to doing my best work in a sustainable way. And it sounds like you're talking about the same thing. Helping people, doing yep. great work. Yep. Appreciate the share. I appreciate you opening up your story. And I'm really hoping that somebody listening to this <laughs> is going to be inspired to think about new possibilities for them in their career. Yes, I would agree. Anything's possible. And, you know, and I love to share it. I love to tell people it doesn't have to be this way. Like you can be whatever you want to be. Um, and you got to find that motivation and that drive to get there. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.